So here we are, week three of a four-week series, Man in the Mirror, a look at David, the shepherd boy who became king. And I apologize for the lights. The fire alarm went off. That's the way it goes when you're renting a church in a school. They are uncontrollable. So it's bright. I know you don't like to look at me, and I, well, I love to look at you. I, I love to look at you, I mean. I love it. Anyway, I digress. We talked about God putting this oil inside of us, that in order to release the oil, we have to be willing to step up to his expectation and walk by faith to, to allow God to release this oil in week one. And in week one, once we realize we have this oil to release, guess how God's going to get you to release it? He's going to give you a battle. In week two, we talked about battling bigger things and how we slay our giant. And when we slay the giant, guess what's, hap guess what's happening? The oil is starting to come out. And we're changing from shepherd to king slowly. But the biggest premise of this series was that God will use people who have fallen short. God will use people who don't meet the expectation in all scenarios. One season they do and one season they don't. And often we are going to fall harder than we ever thought we could and get to a point where we almost shame ourselves out of resignation with our spiritual walk with the Lord. But God never turned those people away when it happened in the Bible. He, he still used them where they're willing. And David was a perfect example because he did some, he did some, he had some mistakes. I mean, he was a man. He made some mistakes. And so today we're going to talk about probably his biggest mistake. It's a mistake that hurt the Lord. God has feelings, you know. God, God has feelings. It says, it says, you know, when the dove descended, uh, uh, this, I am well pleased. I am pleased. You know, the Lord was angered often in the Old Testament. There's emotion to God. God has feelings. Everything we have comes from God. So when you wonder how God feels, just know that everything you feel comes from God because we were made in his image. So today we're going to look at David's lowest point. And the, the point of today is not to run you into the ground, it's to show you that if David can hit the point he hit and God can still use him, then there's nothing you have done that cannot stop you from coming back up with, with God. He, 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 he won't abandon you either if you're willing to continue and grow from the experience and turn from your ways. Amen? How many know who Bathsheba is? She's pretty. Or in my generation, you say, she's hot, man. She's hot, bro. Nick, did you see Bathsheba? She is smoking hot, man. I was on my rooftop. I know, it's weird. And there she was taking a bath. What culture is she in? So David was on the rooftop, okay, of his, like, penthouse having coffee time at 2 o'clock. And there is Bathsheba bathing across the way, I guess, on her rooftop. I know it's kind of weird, but that's, that's the Bible. She was bathing and he could see her and so what happens he starts lusting and long story short he's you know he's in charge of things he's king at this point by the way this series is not in chronological order we're going to bounce around a bit he's king at this point and so he can have anything he wants he sends his men go go tell her to come long story short she's pregnant by the way she's married to a gentleman named Uriah and David didn't really think this through because he acted on his impulse. You know what I mean? He didn't stop and say, let me, let me prohibit the impulse because we're all going to get the thought sometime to act, but we have to stop, engage, and discern and go, do we want to go this direction anyway? Let me stop and think 
Okay, the seeds in there, I, I, know, I know that's questionable, WWJD, uh, but, but, but yeah, I'm going to do it anyway because she's on the rooftop and I'm king. That's what David did. So she got pregnant. The Bible says he laid with her. What does that mean? Yes, that's what it means. You see, one of the most common divisions created between man and God is the idea that once I've messed up, God doesn't want anything to do with me. If we believe that we aren't valuable, though, to God, we won't walk in his provision or supply and find his ultimate purpose that we've been called to release our oil against that expectation, his purpose. We may even turn in that spiritual resignation because we've fallen deeper than we ever imagined, even after we've professed Christ We've repented. We've turned from our ways. You know, you can become saved in a Christian and still sin because we're human. But when you got the Holy Ghost inside, you got to put a hook in your mouth, as T.D. Jakes pulls it, says it, and yank you right back out of that mess if you're willing. He'll, he'll come back and pull you out of that mess. It doesn't mean you're perfect, perfection from that point on. It means God's got you. Now you're under his sanct, sanctified umbrella of protection. But we forget that, and I don't know about you, but when you get in a dark moment, your mind can play tricks on you, and you start disqualifying yourself from anything to do with God. You're no longer able to forgive yourself, so you forget that God says, I will forgive you again. God repeatedly, everybody say repeatedly, empowered perfect, imperfect people of the Bible to do great things for his kingdom. They are always a mess. And he used some of the biggest messes to do some of the greatest things. And though there are always consequences in God's house for actions that go against his word, it doesn't alter God's love for us and his desire to use us in a great way. It will never change God's desire to use you in a great way because you've fallen deeper than you thought you ever would. It doesn't stop the journey. We have a choice. Are we going to stop the journey because we can't forgive our shame? Or are we going to hand it back over to Jesus and continue the journey? We will all hit that point multiple times perhaps in our life. So remember, you are not alone when you get in that moment. You are not alone. He desires to use us in a great way. And our God is a God of second chances. Thank you, God, that you're a God of second chances. Because, man, there's so many times I chose to just do wrong against you, willing, consciously, contemplated. I knew the Bible, and I still chose the other way, Nate. I knew it. Thank you, God, for being a God of second chances. And so, yes, David had to reap the consequences of God's due course that was set before him by his fleshly actions. But God never turned his back on him, and he will never turn his back on on you either. So my question to you this morning is, are you in a place in your faith where you feel like you need to do more, you need to be more to God before you can grow any further? Once I mature in this area, then God can use me more. So for now, I'll wait or do nothing. Are you looking at your life as a resume for perfection? And opting out of the greater good of seeing yourself as the clay 
that God so greatly desires to mold and shape according to his divine purpose. It's not according to what you have in plan. It's according to his divine purpose. That's why he needs clay, because he's going to make you to what you, he needs you to be anyway. We're going to look at 2 Samuel today. This is after this has all happened with Bathsheba. This is what David attempted to do to fix the problems. How many know we do stupid things to fix stupid problems? When we do a stupid thing, what do we do to make it better? We do something more stupid, right? That'll make it better. I know, I'll just, I'll just be more stupid. And if we, if, can we say stupid here? Y'all offended, can I say stupid? It's stupid, like we do stupid things. I just like saying stupid. Okay, I'm done saying stupid. <laughs> we do dumb things. And then we do something more dumb to cover it up, to fix it, instead of going to God with it the first time. This passage is is deep, okay, guys? It's the Bible. It's not me. We're going to look at 2 Samuel, chapter 11, verse 14 through 25. This is when David found out about Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, who's one of his soldiers, by the way. And he's a good soldier, Matt. He's good. He gives his all to David. He gives all honor to David. He finds out Bathsheba's pregnant. Oh, snap, he says. What do I do about this? It says, in the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab, one of the commanders, and set it by the hand of Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. And he wrote in the letter saying, set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. Nice guy, huh? God used him again after this. So it was while Joab besieged the city, went on to the city to attack, that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men, basically, where he knew he'd be outnumbered. He purposely got too close to the walls, too close to the city, so they'd be in a position to be outnumbered. Then the men in the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the people of the servants of David fell, and Uriah the Hittite died also. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war and charged the messenger, saying, When you have finished telling the matters of the war to the king, if it happens that the king's wrath arises, and he says to you, why did you approach so near to the city when you fought? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who struck Abimelech, the son of Jerubasheth? Was it not a woman who cast a piece of millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Tebez? Why did you go near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. He's strategizing how to hide his mess. You with me? You guys with this? So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent by him. And the messenger said to David, surely the men prevailed against us and came out to us in the field. Then we drove them back as far as the entrance of the gate. The archers shot from the wall at your servants. And some of the king's servants are dead. And your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Then David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it, so encourage him. 
When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. The title of this sermon is Falling Short. Falling Short. God didn't call you to be perfect. He called you to be faithful. And this is pretty bad, what David did. I don't know if you're all tracking that. Not only did he impregnate the woman that was married, but then he had her husband killed to cover it up. And just Surprisingly, he's dead. And so now there's no concern if she shows up pregnant later, has a baby later, because kings took whoever they wanted to be wives. But a married man, it was a different thing, and it just looked bad. So he said, I'll just do something more stupid and have him killed. And the thing about David in this moment, I think, I think I've been this way, and maybe you all have too at certain stages of your life, is that you can become blind to yourself and you can take your reasoning and change the situation to fit your reason to do something that you know is not right, but you can turn yourself into um, the justified, so to speak, for your cause. And you can tell yourself enough, I'm going to do this and find a reason to justify why it's okay to do it. Well, it's not in the Bible that way, but the Bible doesn't say it this way. And, uh, you know, well, you know, we can do that and play these word games, but ultimately we're lying to ourselves. It's what we're really doing. We can become blind to ourselves, and it's so easy to see these faults. It's so easy to look at David right now and go, what a scumbag. What a dirt. I would never serve a king like that. It's so easy. And he, he probably feels the same way. We're going to get to that. But, but when you see it in somebody else, it's a piece of cake to notice and you, you're quick to judge. But when it's you or it's me, it's hard to notice because it's different. Well, it's, you know, it's different. It's a, it's a double standard, we call it. It's so easy to cast that judgment when it's not being cast on ourselves. We forget that our inward behavior is seen outwardly. So people can see it in us that something's off, that maybe we have some issues, maybe we have a problem, but we don't see it because we're blind to it. We'll justify the wrongdoing with reasons, excuses, to make it be in our favor. I've done it. You know, it's like when someone's on their phone, you're talking to them in there. Yeah, oh, so... You got a new job, huh? Yeah. Oh, so tell me about it. Huh? You're not listening. Why'd you ask? Huh? Hey, hey, I do that. It makes me so mad when they do that. Oh, I do that. I think I quit doing that. Actually, I didn't know I was doing it. It's subconscious. It's so bad. See, see it's blinding to yourself. You know, it's, it's like that when someone's trying to talk to you and the, the cell phone thing is they're texting. You know what I wonder? All you voice textures, come on now, somebody. Come on. I know, I know it's Sunday and you guys, are, you guys are tired from the fall fest, but, but work with me here. You know, you, know, you know that everybody voice types now, right? So the people who were doing this when you're talking to them, will they be doing this now? Um, yes, I'd like a frappuccino. With a, will they be voice typing in front of you instead now because they're too lazy to type in front of you? Is that the next evolution of ill-manneredness, not paying attention? Or they won't do that because they'll know you know. You see? They'll know you know, but when they think you don't know, they don't know either. It's just like 
they don't notice because they're blind to self. It's subconscious. We see it in others, but we miss it in our own behaviors. We start going through the motions. But when someone fresh comes in your life, that's why you need accountable mentors. When someone fresh comes into the situation, they're going to see things that you don't. They're going to see things that your friends are already numb to because they've seen it so long they actually forgot about it. And maybe they're doing the same things now, thanks to us. Because you, you reciprocate what you know. You become a product of your environment. And so when someone fresh comes in, they see, hey, hey, did you know that you talk and text to people while someone's looking you in the eye, talking to you? Pastor, did you know you do that? Sometimes. Sometimes I just need to take care of it anyway. I have a reason to justify why my text is more important than what you're saying to me. I have a reason to justify this pregnancy and cover it up by taking a man's life. I'm king. I mean, that will mess up a lot of things. You see what I'm saying? You see how we kind of, we position things. I do it. I try not to do it. But if you're human, you've probably done it to some capacity. When I want something, I will find a way, Vincent. I'll justify whatever it takes to get to Smoothie King after church. I said, Michelle, did you give out any church cards yet? We've been going there every week for four months after church. They know about One Seat Church, don't they? Hey, you want to go to Smoothie King? Will you grab me one when you go? You fly, I'll buy. That's my dad's favorite line. You fly, I'll buy. It's when he was saying, I'm hungry. Can you go to a restaurant? I'll pay for it when I was a kid. See, see we have an intention to find a way to get what we want and kind of position it in an unselfish way when we need to. If you think you can never make a mistake, then it's hard to ever have room for God's improvement. It doesn't mean, again, that we're called to be perfect, we're called to be clay, we're called to be faithful, but when we recognize you are vulnerable human beings who will make mistakes, that's when God can start using you and wants to use you. You don't have to hang on to your shame you don't have to stay blind. The first step is recognizing that there's something there that you need from God. That's when you start seeing and you quit being as blind. But you have to start seeing. And until you see, you'll never change because you don't think anything's wrong to begin with. And the flip side to this whole thing is when you don't see it, it's self-denial and that's toxic to anything. When you're perfect the way you are at 15 years old, or 17 years old, and you're perfect. Come on, all you moms. You know how all your teenagers are perfect? They think so, right? Oh, snap. We have one in the house. I'm not talking about you. Preteens don't count. It's toxic, and we'll never find peace in our heart when we don't realize there's toxins that got to come out because we don't think anything's wrong. So what do we got to do? We got to make it right. We have to be willing to make it right. You can have it all together in your life, but slip under the pressure of, again, stupidity. You're going to slip. It's a slippery life. It's a slippery world, and you're going to slip sometimes. And sometimes we just make bad decisions because we're human. We're going to look at one more passage that ties into this to show David's blindness to self and that he was human like us. And don't worry, this series is going to move on to show some of the greatest moments of David after the fact, before the fact, different moments. God still wants to use you even after these slips. 
2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1 through 7, the prophet Nathan, not this Nathan. Then the Lord said, Nathan, to David, y'all ready for this? This is a bomb about to go off. You guys ready? Come on now. Come on, who, who wants the word today? Come on, it's not a library, all right? Come on, wake up, people. This is God's word. It's life-giving. I got to say it to make myself, you know, just kidding. The Lord said to Nathan, sent Nathan to David, and he came to him, and he said to him, there were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little new lamb. She had bought and nourished and grew it up together with him and with his children. And it ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom and it was like a daughter to him. He had one lamb. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So the guy who had the lambs went and took the guy who had a lamb, that lamb. David heard this and was greatly angered. His anger was greatly aroused against that man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. How despicable, David says. Who would do such a thing? And he shall restore fourfold the lamb because he did this thing because he had no pity on this man. Then Nathan said to David, you're the man. You did it. You took the lamb. His name was Uriah. You took the lamb, the man who gave you his all. You took it. And it goes on in that moment. David, he had nothing to say because he had a light bulb moment because he was him in the parable. Nathan was trying to tell him in a way that he could get it. You know, I can tell you things about the Bible, but if your heart's not ready, you won't receive it. So sometimes the prophets of the Bible have to come along and say it in a way that the light bulb goes off and then you have a moment from God who changes something in you. The prophet, the pastor, the shepherd, the minister, they don't change you. God does. They're the messenger. And when David had this moment, you know he had to be heartbroken. You know he had to have recognized what really happened. So it was a good thing. And now the only way forward is up. You got to make it right. And that willingness to recognize and acknowledge the mistake but opt out will keep it wrong. We have to say, yeah, all right. I want to fix it. I want to grow. I want to make it right. Uriah was innocent. Others were affected by David's actions. I don't know about you, but I've done some stuff in my life, and, and when, when I've done the things, I thought, it's not hurting anybody else. 
Or I've heard people in my family say, this doesn't affect you when I'm fighting with them. And yes, it does. Yes, it does. Because I start acting different. Or you start acting different. It's, res- it's, a, it's, a, it's a trickle effect. And so when David did that for his own well-being, he doesn't know that taking out Uriah hurt a lot of people. His wife, he hurt probably the men in his, you know, I'm sure they were friends in the army, his fellow soldiers. There was hurt caused, so there's a trickle effect. And so David just now is feeling the weight. Thank you to Nathan, the prophet. Uriah was so loyal to David. The pain can be heartbreaking when we feel the recourse of the action. But God will never leave and still grow you, love you, and give you a path if you're willing to walk on it. This is, this is what caught me right here. I've been David, but I feel like Uriah. Y'all getting that? I did what David did, but I tell the story like Uriah. Now, Uriah was for real, but sometimes I feel like what they did wasn't fair, so I'm going to call it Uriah. I was serving. I was doing everything to go do what I did. It's because of them. Until Nathan spoke to the king and said, you are the man. Your name was David in that moment. Until we recognize we've all fallen short of the glory of God and we can't prosper without him, we have to quit saying that we're Uriah when I ultimately I was being David. Does that make sense? And it's not about hurting people or bringing you down. It's about reality that it takes that moment to bring a repentive heart. That's what leads someone to repentance is seeing that in themselves. When God speaks to you and you recognize that you've fallen short just like David has fallen short and that we've all had that come to God moment. God pierces your heart and then you feel joy because you feel the weight of what Christ did on the cross. Now what he did on the cross makes sense to me. Now it has value. It's no longer a story that makes me feel good when I go to church once a year because that's the tradition. This is something a man did to give me life for eternity. Now I understand it because the weight has been lifted when I realize that I've fallen short and I didn't deserve that. That's what it's about, church. That's what it's about. And that's our opportunity now to make it right. God didn't call you to be perfect. He called you to be faithful. And the moment we recognize that we are the man, I'm talking to myself here, it's when God will change our perspective. We've all been the man at some stage, and God will forgive you. Just ask for forgiveness, and he will. Now it's time to make it right with God and yourself. God forgave you, so now you have to forgive you, okay? Don't hold on to it no more. David, let it go. Let it go. I know you had the revelation, David, but let it go now. It's all good with God, so it can be good with you. God's consequence to David, by the way, God didn't have to do much because David was already feeling the weight of what he did, but his consequence is not meant to be an inhibitor to his provision, 
It's not meant to stop you from accessing God or make you in qual- unqualified to, God, act, to, to, to follow God. The consequence is recourse to make you better. That's what it is. If there was no consequence, you would just stay the same. You need correction. We need correction to become better in the eyes of God. And through his love, he will correct you as a parent corrects his child. It's meant to be. But David, where's David? He's not even here today. Our live stream isn't working. And I would say to David, but David never stopped being faithful. In the darkest season, he's in a dark season and he's staying faithful. He's still got his one seat shirt on. He still, he still says good things about the Lord. He's staying faithful just like King David. That's why he's like our King David right now. He's staying faithful and God will use you if you stay faithful in the dark seasons. Don't doubt God that he left you when he said, I will never leave you. So quit telling me I'm gonna leave you. Do you want me to leave you? Quit trying to make it so, devil. Get out of my house, Satan. That is not the word of the Lord. So we can rejoice and have peace in that. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, but we can make it right and pick up the cross. Pick up your cross and follow me, says Lord. It's time to rebuild. It's time to rebuild. It's time to rebuild my kingdom, says David. It's time to rebuild my trust with my soldiers, says David. It's time to rebuild my integrity with my soldiers and with myself. If I can't love me and and trust me, I can't expect anybody else to. But when I know I have Jesus in 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 my heart, that it can make me right, I can relax, and now I can lead them. But if I'm, if I'm corrupted and I can't stop the chaos because I'm not being faithful, I will corrupt those around me. So I have to remember what is good and so that others will continue to receive what is good through me because they'll see it when you don't. They'll see the corruption when you don't. It's kind of a funny story. We're talking about David. And he said, uh, you haven't been posting as much lately. He loves my social posts. I said, yeah, man, I'm just at capacity. Just, we've been busy. And uh, it's all good, but, you know, Michelle had a surgery. I've got an issue with my gallbladder, I think. And we just, it's been some, some things. And uh, it's all good things with the church. But he saw something that I didn't think anyone would notice. No one will notice. I'll just lay off that for a while. It's not doing anything. That's what the devil starts telling you. It's a waste of time. People, don't, people aren't getting fed by that. They'll start planting that in you. And David says, I'm, why, aren't you, why aren't you posting? And God said, keep feeding. You're feeding someone. Don't let the devil discourage that. That's okay to take breaks once in a while. That's not what I'm saying. You need, everybody needs a vacation from the brain sometimes. You know what I mean? But what caught my attention is that he noticed something that I thought no one would notice the difference. So that touched me. But we have to rebuild like David. David would go on to rebuild. Don't allow the devil to convince you that falling short means your well has dried up. That's a lie. 
That's a lie, and the devil is the father of it. If God is not done with you, or if he was done with you, he would have left you in the flock at the bottom of the mountain, but he's ordained you to climb the mountain and to find the promised land, Israel. And God's well is still overflowing for you. If you built it once, you can build it again. And David knew that. You can start again. Touch your neighbor, tell him, start again. You can do it again. You can rebuild it again. If y'all could stand this morning in his presence. God says, the cares of this world will come and go. But my plan for you shall be forever. I intended you to be great, not mediocre. You know God's a perfectionist because he can be perfect, so he's going to make you go somewhere you've never gone before if you're willing. He can take a sheep boy and take him to kingship. That's what he wants to do for your life. Give me your best, son, and I will do the rest. Amen? It's only one way up from here. When you're at the bottom, there's only one way up. Isn't that right, Danielle? There's only one way up from here. When I hit the bottom, there's only one way, and that's up. So we can rejoice in that and give glory and thanks to know that God was pruning us to be more and to do more for his kingdom. If we can bow our heads now and pray. Jesus, we come to you right now. We're thankful for the opportunity to worship freely and receive your word in this house. And we pray that this message of David connects with us in a way to not shame us, to not make us feel unworthy, but to let us know that there is a way up from here, that your love is greater than any sin, that, that the heavens reach higher than any fall I could make to the trenches. There is nothing to stop me from growing and getting up and following your perfect plan for me should I be willing and faithful. God, help me make correction. Correct me, Lord. Guide my ways. Make my paths straight that I may have peace in my heart and be anxious for nothing and know that as long as I'm pursuing your will, the rest is in the books. I have nothing to worry about. The weight has been lifted. Your burden is easy. Your yoke is easy. Your burden is light, Lord. I pray right now, God, touch us. Let us be the light of the world that when someone comes into this house and they hear about One Seat Church, they say, they are different because they lift me up. They make me feel valued. They make me feel loved. They make me know why I have a purpose in my life, God. And I'm here to proclaim the only name given, and that is Jesus Christ. And if the house of God could say, in Jesus' name, amen.